0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know that feeling when you have something that's really been bothering you, or when you've been fixating on something in your life that's looming large in your mind? We all carry around different stressors in our lives, big and small, and I think we inherently know that when we keep them bottled up inside, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever it is that's weighing you down. Therapy isn't just for people who have experienced major trauma. There are plenty of benefits it can have for everyone, It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. And don't underestimate the power of boundaries, either. Those are super important. If you've been wondering if you should give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's a fully online experience and designed from the ground up to be convenient and customizable to your schedule. To get started, you just have to fill out a brief questionnaire that will match you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash filmdaily today
2: Hello everyone and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, April 17th, 2023. On today's episode, we're gonna discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film editorial director Peter Serrata. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film staff writer and box office analyst Ryan Scott.
3: Hey, hey, everyone, how's it going?
2: Well, it is Monday, Ryan, which means we are here and we're gonna talk about box office. Uh in you know, Super Mario has been wreaking havoc in in the multiplexes why don't you tell us about it
3: yeah so um perhaps not surprising uh the super mario brothers movie uh won the second weekend handily uh but what's crazy is so uh, most of this morning the number that was being cited was 87 million uh for its second weekend however that number is actually 92 million so it way over way outperformed expectations uh meaning it only dropped 37 percent which is nuts so it has already made $700 million worldwide, and it is already the highest grossing movie worldwide, period. Uh, uh outgrossing a movie in China called, um, Red. Uh, um, uh, I'm so sorry. Um, uh, wait, wait C- you said
2: this the, the highest grossing movie worldwide, period
3: uh, of, 2023, oh, of 2023. Okay, okay. <laughs> sorry, uh, of the year. There's a there uh, Red Sea something. I'm so sorry. I'm forgetting the, but it's not listed on Box Office Mojo, but uh, there was a movie in China that had made like $677 million. And so this is now overtaken that. So it's very well on its way to a billion. And, uh, and that's even with a terrible showing in China, by the way, it's only made like 12 million in China. So, um, And I think you're
2: talking about Full River Red
3: full river red yes I apologize thank you Peter for saving me on that one um but uh but yeah so the, it's it's probably I, I would guess at this point at least 1.1 1. 1 billion would be my guess um yeah so I mean we're just I mean <laughs> like we talked about last week at the very least a sequel if not a whole lot more um but there but there was a lot more that happened this weekend we had uh the Pope's Exorcist and Renfield both entered the fold for horror fans. And uh, somewhat surprisingly, The Pope's Exorcist uh, did better. Um, uh, It it debuted at number two with 9.1 million, which was more than most uh, analysts had it making. Uh, And Renfield, uh, which had Nicolas Cage's Dracula, was the much flashier movie, debuted all the way at number four with 7.7 million and almost fell to number five as Ben Affleck's heir was right on its heels. So, um, not good at all, especially considering that the Pope's exorcist had an $18 million budget and it's already been doing somewhat well overseas. Like it's already at 36.5 million worldwide. So you know, it'll profit for sure. Whereas Renfield had a $65 million budget and, uh, it has only made 2.2 million overseas so far. So, um, it is going to be a huge flop, uh, for universal. Um, fortunately they have all that Mario Brothers money to keep them company, but um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Renfield is, oh yeah, that's that. I mean, that's 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 some real, real brutal stuff. And then uh, you also had another bomb this weekend with Mafia Mama, uh, which was from Bleecker Street and stars uh, Tony Collette. Um, that that only made two million dollars, had a very poor per screen average. Um, so you know that was pretty that was pretty brutal. Um. Yeah, yeah. So uh, big, a big weekend, a lot to talk about.
2: <laughs> what do we have coming up? What, what is coming up this weekend?
3: This weekend's going to be kind of big because you have Evil Dead Rise. Um, uh, oh yeah, and then you. But that, but, but that's not all. Uh, as we also have Guy Ritchie's The Covenant, which is kind of coming out of nowhere. Which is like it feels like his third movie in like a year. You know, he Guy Ritchie's just been pumping him out. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. That one feels like it's getting a bit of a late marketing push and it looks like a kind of expensive movie uh that's the one with Jake Gyllenhaal the war film um so it looks good I like the trailer but yeah I don't I don't know what they're expecting there but uh and weird, and then Warner Brothers has been handling some of these theatrical rollouts kind of weirdly like like I felt like Magic Mike um Magic Mike's Last Dance didn't get as big of a theatrical release as I thought it would like it didn't go as wide as I thought it would. And I'm yeah. wondering what's going to happen with evil dead rise, but they've been advertising the hell out of it. And the reviews have been really good. So, um, I think evil dead rise could do really well, but I don't know if it's going to be able to overtake Mario given, given how much money <laughs> that's been making. So yeah, we also yeah, have that a so
2: 24 movie from Ari Aster that's coming out. I think maybe yeah. B- Bo was
3: afraid, but that debuted this weekend in four theaters and it had one of the uh. best. It had one of the best limited, uh, rollouts like per screen averages, uh, of the last like four years, um, it made $80,000 per screen. <laughs> so like, that's crazy. Um, yeah. but again, it's, it's can that, cause I think we've seen a few of these where it's like, you know, they have the the good art house debut. Like I, I, I believe, um, uh, Wes Anderson's the French dispatch had a pretty nice, you know, start. And then it kind of, you know, Peter's from there. So I I've seen Bo is afraid and, and I, have my strong doubts that that's going to be able to um
2: it's not ascend. an audience-pleasing movie that will send people no, back to theaters
3: no but but uh, but i will say but like both hereditary and midsummer were so i mean it's not unthinkable <laughs> to think that ari aster would but i will say this is by far his most like i i'm pretty it's gonna have like an f cinema score you know what i mean it's gonna be one of those <laughs> movies um so uh it, but uh I'm not saying it's bad or good, just for it didn't, you know, I'm just, I just, the general public is going to have a hard time with that one.
2: Yeah. uh, So I guess, like, really, other than Evil Dead, we're we're waiting for Guardians to come out next month is the the big one.
3: That's the, well, that's the next big, big one. Um, But, you know, you got to look at at what point, you know, that drop off gets you to a point. Because you've got April 28th is kind of interesting because you have Return of the Jedi getting that limited re-release again. But then you have Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, which is one of those things that I feel like kind of like where the crawdads sing last year. That could sneak up and make money. Um, and then you've got Big George Foreman, which is the George Foreman biopic, which I think that'll be sort of a limited appeal, but that could kind of do okay for for Sony. Um, but yeah, yeah, then then you're really looking at Guardians 3 on May 5th. so.
2: Yeah, we, we, we talked about the summer uh, last week on Friday on the podcast, so we're not going to delve far into that. But I did want to talk about this quote from Jason Blum from last week. He, he was doing some interviews. He was on IndieWire's Screen Talk podcast, and he was talking about the, the horror movie bubble. I know I've been talking with you on the podcast, Ryan, and you're always saying like how the, the one thing that we know does well at the box office is horror movies. More
3: consistently. And I think there's maybe something to be said about Renfield in that department that a lot of the times, you know, horror does well because it does well relative to a smaller budget. But when you start, when you make a $65 million horror comedy, all those rules go out the window.
2: I feel like that's more comedy than horror, but, but yeah.
3: Did you, did you see it?
2: No, no, I haven't seen it. Okay.
3: Well, no, it's definitely, it's extremely gory. Like that's the one thing. It is not a little gory. It is extremely gory.
2: Okay, well, I'll say this. I think it's being promoted more for its comedy elements than its horror elements.
3: Yeah, I think they had to do that because of how much they spent on it, so they had to try to go for a wider audience, and I don't think it worked.
2: Well, Jason Blum believes that the horror bubble is going to crash. I'm going to read the quote from you here. He says, The demand for horror over my career has been very consistent. The audience can take about 8-ish, 9-ish, 10-ish horror titles per year. Uh, but he points out when a movie like smile becomes a massive hit quote, everybody jumps in to grab a piece of the box office pie. uh, he says, so next year we'll see, I'm guessing we'll see 25 wide release horror movies. 15 of those will not work. And then the following year in 2025, it'll go back to between 10 to 14 releases. What do you think of, uh, Jason Blum box office analyst?
3: this is a man who is not <laughs> just maybe the, the number one authority on horror in, in the modern cinema business. But I listened to that entire podcast. It's very good, by the way, uh, if you get the chance, he's a great, it was a very long conversation with him, but, but he, um he is very specifically interested in the theatrical business. He said on that sh- podcast that he doesn't want to do this. If like, it becomes a point where you can't make movies, for theater like he just isn't interested in it otherwise so he's been doing this for over 20 years he knows what he's talking about and he specifically works in the genre space most of the time so he's been paying attention to this and his whole business is built on you know we don't make money unless these movies make money so he knows what does and doesn't work but Um, you don't
2: think uh, theatrical can support more than eight or ten horror movies a year
3: i don't think it can support more than eight to ten that work that's his point I think yeah. that maybe more than that get released each year, but I think maybe eight to 10 of them work in theaters. Some of the other ones are maybe like those ones where it's like, maybe they don't make all their money in theaters and maybe they can make some money later. Like Nope didn't profit in theaters, but it will probably profit over the life of the film. But so I think right now what we're seeing is horrors having a bit of a boom moment. So I think maybe that eight to 10 number, maybe that could go up to 12, who knows for a year or two. But but I don't think that that it's going to be, you know, more than that, because even like we talk about these superhero movies, we get maybe four or five superhero movies a year. And that was at the peak, you know, so you're talking even what he's talking about is horrors double that. (laughs) So that's a lot to ask audiences, uh, uh, ask of audiences. So I think he's more or less probably correct. I think I think in the moment we're having, again, you could maybe exceed that number a touch, but not by a lot.
2: I don't know. I, I think the horror audience is becoming huge. Uh, I, I know it's, this is-
3: it's, it's just more fun. It's just, there's more spotlight on it than there's been. I don't, I, I, I agree with you on some level, but I think it's always been there. I guarantee if we go through the release calendar right now and we go through what's already been released and what will be released for the rest of the year, I bet we could pick out the 10 or so that'll actually be hits.
2: <laughs> Maybe we'll do that uh, uh, later in the week. Um, yeah. But let's talk about another thing he said. He was talking about uh, what Blumhouse is doing and uh, their briskiest movie yet. So he said on the Screen Talk podcast, he said on the, the movie side of the company, we only get compensated if movies we make are hits, theatrical hits. It's a very, very specific measure. But if the movies don't work, we don't want to make, uh, we don't make any money. And the movies take an enormous amount of time and care and thought to get right. We don't always make hits. And, but but we make them more often than not, and it's very, very hard and labor-intensive atten- to do that. I'm interested in growing the company, so I've really thought a lot about how I can go from four to five to six to seven studio theatrical hits. And the only way to do this is to take on a partner. So Blum explained that there's two tracks to Blumhouse, the original tr- film's track and then the sequel track – and that they play by different rules, both budgeting and creatively. So he says, "Yes, uh, when when you have a sequel or an existing IP, your marketing is built in. We spend much more money on our sequels. That that makes sense because the audience is going to recognize the title. Um, and uh, but he said there's a ton of risk. The riskiest move movie." I have ever made for sure is not out yet. It's The Exorcist. Just because it's so expensive, usually the bar for success on everything we do, just because they're so inexpensive, is incredibly low. But You know, with this one, it's incredibly high. So what do you think about what he has to say about The Exorcist?
3: Well, I think one of the other things he talked about, he talked about that uh, he said he's thinking a lot how to go from four to five to six to seven theatrical hits. And at that point in the podcast, he was talking about the 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 in-the-works merger between Blumhouse and James Wan's Atomic Monster. And part of what he was saying there is that, you know, Blum is not a creative executive. He is a production executive. Whereas James Wan, most of the hits from Atomic Monster have generated like from James Wan's brain. So he's saying that like marrying his company to Atomic Monster would potentially be able to generate more hits because you have a guy like Wan who can generate ideas that, that bring you hits. So that's worth we're taking into account. And then secondly, with The Exorcist, like he's talking about there, is they made this gigantic deal with Peacock where Peacock's putting a bunch of money into it up front. So there's a lot of risk there because the movies are expensive because they're going, you know, a a big part of the release strategy is built into like, these need to be hits for the streaming service. We're kind of making them for in addition to theatrical hits. So um, yeah, there's risk there. And I think that's probably true. It's a deal like they haven't made in the past. And um, I don't know that the Exorcist, like the original Exorcist certainly, but as a franchise, it's not like Halloween where there had been a legacy of, hit after hit after hit that's not necessarily been the case with the exorcist so i do think that like green lighting an entire trilogy and making a huge deal like that um yeah there's a lot of risk there and i can see that but i also think that you know for him expensive i don't know i don't know what the budget is on that first one but i think it's a lot more than they're accustomed (laughs) to but it's still less than like your typical blockbuster so you know to what degree there's risk there i'm not sure but
2: do, do we know what the what the budget is for Blumhouse Exorcist? Talk for
3: 2 seconds so I can type like a madman on my loud keyboard <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll find out.
2: Um yeah, I I I really have no idea. I have not looked this up so I'm sorry to surprise you with this question. And I'm also wondering how it relates to like Blumhouse's uh, Blumhouse was involved in the the Halloween movies, right?
3: Yeah, Blumha- Blumhouse Blumhouse yeah. did the more recent trilogy like so so but but even that like the first one was made for 10 million which is a lot more than they would normally do but 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 that was you know yeah but but that that's not that's that's still not like terribly expensive i think and then the last one
2: was like two uh was 20
3: yeah but this one's going to be a lot more than that um you know like this is going to be a much more expensive movie
2: Okay, so what? How much is Exorcist? Do we know? I'm
3: looking. I'm trying to find that original press release, or like the 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 because like Variety had a um, you know, like a when 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 the deal was originally made, you know what what the deal was valued. So I was gonna kind of see if I could.
2: Wikipedia says. Oh, that's right. That... Oh
3: my God, that's right. Okay, so God, that's... that's right. The deal was huge. Hold on. Uh, Universal spending 540 million to reboot The Exorcist. Wait, uh, what? So it's 400 million. Was the deal for the new Exorcist trilogy? So it's a gigantic uh, four hundred million. Deal. Yeah, let me double check this, but hold on.
2: That sounds. Uh, yeah, four hundred million. Uh, the rights alone, four hundred million. That's. Yep. That so you. Uni- so here, this is
3: from July twenty twenty one. Universal and Peacock close four hundred million dollar deal for Exorcist trilogy. So that's the worldwide what? rights for the new Exorcist franchise. So the so the idea here is that these are gigantic play that they, yes they are gonna go to theaters, but ultimately the hope is that these bring a lot of value to Peacock.
2: I don't feel like the Exorcist is as big of a horror franchise is, I agree as with Halloween.
3: You. I agree. I agree with you. Like and, and, but you know, but there's more prestige with the Exorcist in some ways, right? Like that original Exorcist is one of the most beloved and heralded movies ever made, let alone you know horror. So I mean,
2: I mean I, Halloween. Wait, how much did Halloween make? Uh, so it made.
3: Well, the original Exorcist made four hundred and twenty-eight million dollars. Mm. So that, I mean, that's nothing. None of the Halloween movies came close to that. I mean, that's you know that's a that's a gigantic hit. You know, especially when you take into account like inflation. That's crazy, but. The exorcist two made 25 million. The exorcist three made 25 million exorcist. The beginning made 43 million. So, you know, you're talking the just precipitous drop off there. Um, also exorcist, the beginning somehow had a $78 million budget. Who the hell let that happen? (laughs) Um, but, uh, and then there was like Dominion prequel to The Exorcist, which was 2005. I don't know what the hell that was, Jesus. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a. There's a, there's a reason Blum's a little nervous. That's a tremendous amount of money.
2: I, I would be nervous. I, I don't understand how someone greenlit that amount of money. That just seems insane. I mean, maybe I could be. We could be listening back to this in a couple of years, laughing at me, saying how silly I sound. But it doesn't seem to me like The Exorcist w- – what if this one doesn't do well and there isn't even a trilogy?
3: There must be an option to bail out on that, right? Like there has to be. Um, but yeah, so it's an average of about $133 million per picture. I'm guessing a lot of that is upfront money for the talent. So Jason Blum probably got a fat paycheck. Uh, David Gordon Green, it, who directed those Halloween movies, probably got a fat paycheck. My only thing is I heard a little bit of scuttlebutt that David uh, that uh, David Gordon Green was not necessarily regretful, but like, you know, he just spent six years making Halloween movies and now he's potentially going to be spending another six or seven years making Exorcist movies. And, you know, (laughs) I think that that there was some scuttlebutt that he might maybe be second second guessing that decision a little bit. And there might be some discussion as to whether or not he'll actually direct all three movies uh but but um so we'll see but yeah that's i mean i i I don't know because i don't know what because i know that that deal was made largely as like almost the way netflix makes deals for movies where it's all upfront money um so so i don't know how much that they need to make at the box office to say this is worth it for us i have no idea what that number is
2: I mean, whoever expected David Gordon Green to become like this horror filmmaker anyways, like it's so outside of where his his career kind of began. It is.
3: And he also he also supposedly had a Star Wars pitch that was like, you know, didn't necessarily go anywhere. But, you know, he was trying to do other stuff. And but now he's just kind of locked into locked into this world for a while. So.
2: Okay, I want to talk about HBO. I know uh, uh, Ben talked about it on Thursday. Uh, We have more to talk about about that. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Okay, so if you didn't listen to Thursday's podcast or you haven't been following everything, there was this big, big presentation uh, from Warner Brothers on the future of HBO Max. It has been renamed. They, they dropped the HBO part. It was too prestigious for them. It is now called Max. Everybody's mocking them for this. Everybody, No one likes the name, uh, but... But I guess, uh, you know, they, they've, they've explained themselves. And I, I know you wrote this up for the site. Why why did Max drop the HBO name?
3: Uh, yeah, so w- last Wednesday, there was a huge press conference about this whole um, Max, HBO Max thing. And, and they announced a ton of shows, a ton of things, the big Harry Potter show, their big splashy reveal, right? So, look, I'm not saying that Max is a good name. But I am saying that there, there were reasons that they dropped HBO specifically. And so one of the first things was uh, J.B. Perrette, who is uh, Warner Brothers Discovery's president and CEO of Streaming and Games, uh, said this during the presentation. He said, HBO is not TV. HBO is HBO. It needs to stay that way, which is why we will privilege it in the product experience and also not push it to the breaking point by forcing it to take on the full breadth of this new content proposition. It's a lot of business speak for, look, HBO should not be having to shoulder the entire weight of what Warner Brothers Discovery has to offer. And the point there is that in merging this, because the whole point is that everything that's on Discovery Plus is going to also go to max. So you're going to have shows like 90 Day Fiance and Flip or Flop and a lot of reality stuff like that, that has a big audience, but does not at all suit the HBO brand. So when you have to try to square peg round hole that it doesn't make a lot of sense. And so I do sort of get why you would go with HBO Max originally, but when you're looking at the larger corporate concern here, it, it's, it's starting to make less sense. And, and, uh, Matthew Belloni, who, uh, Bellini, I actually think is how you say, it, sorry. Um, <laughs> I
2: was going to say, that's a good name. Bologna. Yeah.
3: Matthew, Matthew Bellany, he, uh, you know, former Hollywood reporter, uh, uh, does puck and, and he has a podcast called the town. And uh, during the uh, last week on the one year anniversary of the Warner media discovery deal, uh, they were talking about this and and, uh, he had this to say, which I think is a really good point. Um, The larger one stop shop of all your favorites in one place is a particularly compelling offer, considering that the HBO brand has been a has been great for a certain level of clientele. It is not great for the people that see it as being not for them. As long as that service was called HBO Max, people were going to be turned off to becoming subscribers if they don't like the HBO content. The name change will presumably help that, and I agree with that. Um, again, you can argue all day about Max being the right name, but I but the logic of changing that name does make sense.
2: I mean, I get why you shouldn't call it HBO Max. I, I never thought it should have been called HBO in the first place, but I just feel like Warner Brothers is such prestigious. Like we, I feel like even general public, you ask them what's well, a Warner Brothers movie, they'll probably name off ten movies. They would know and something, probably, yeah, I, Probably yeah. three of them aren't Warner Brothers, but they they'll know seven out of ten. Do right. you know I mean and,
3: and the other thing is that and I did mention that in the article that I was like, look, you could argue all day that maybe they should have leaned into the Warner Brothers name. Like, you know, Warner Brothers plus like everything else is doing plus or whatever, because like but again, I'm not saying that Max was the good name. I'm saying that <laughs> dropping HBO made sense. Yeah. You know, the, the other the, whether or not Max is a good name is another argument entirely, because. Max was at least sort of connected to the old thing, so people sort of understand what they're signing up for now or what they're getting transferred to on May 23rd, because all HBO Max subscribers will now just be rolled into Max. Um but yeah, so like I probably would have, you know, Warner Brothers probably would have made more sense as a name, but that's not really the point. I think this is better off for I think I think the more important thing is that this is probably better for HBO in the long term. That, like, you know, especially, especially if because there's still a lot of people that think Warner Brothers is going to Warner Brothers is going to be sold again in the next handful of years and that David Zaslov knows that's possible. So part of these bigger announcements and some of this stuff was about, hey, look, we're positioned for the future. You have Lord of the Rings movies. You have Harry Potter shows. You have all these things that, like, if you're going to buy us, look, we've got we've got mountains of content and franchises for years to come. So I think that that was certainly in there as well. And I think HBO being a prestige brand there, what you don't want to do is have that go down with the ship that is the larger streaming service. HBO could maybe get away unscathed if things go south with the larger streaming business.
2: Yeah. I mean, HBO has always been a premium brand. You know, I think uh, scarcity is undervalued. And you need scarcity to create a premium brand. And when you have the premium brand, you know, put in the position of it representing everything, it no longer becomes scarce and no longer becomes premium. So, I don't know. It make, makes sense that way. Uh, I know Pato Spagnoletto. I think that's the person, how you pronounce the person name. He's the Global Chief Marketing Officer of Warner Brothers Discovery. He did an interview with Variety, I think I think they published it today. Um, and they asked, uh, how are you looking at marketing, Max, given the name is a word that's pretty impossible to quote-unquote own and is a commonly used word? And this was uh, his response. said, uh, we, we know going into it that Max could be very generic, but we did a couple of things. One, obviously, we did a lot of research to see how and where the name was going to be used inside and outside of our category. And then we two... We did, we feel that we could truly own it and make it our own. The answer was yes, because there really isn't anyone that has a full grasp on it. A lot of companies use it as a qualifier or an appendix. But when we looked at the equity of max in the context of HBO max through the visual designs and most importantly, how we were going to invest in the brand, we think that we have everything that it takes to, from a marketing perspective to Create a full ownable brand. The name, the visual design, the positioning—all of those things—is what makes it ownable.
3: Boy, that sure sounds like a marketing guy talking, doesn't it?
2: <laughs> it does.
3: Uh, man, I, I almost fell asleep. Oh my god!
2: Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and then was... he went on to be asked, uh, "How did the Max ta- tagline, which is the one to watch, come about?" And his answer to that was even worse. It was—it was basically him explaining <laughs> that, like. Uh, it's something that they've been using internally and it just became like something that they were like oh maybe we should actually just use this so no <laughs> no like uh maybe you shouldn't have this guy doing interviews but um
3: well i think no but i think this is what i get into all the time right like like variety and deadline these other publications they have a lot of business focused readers and a lot of yeah. different types of readers and and you have people that are interested in that stuff and i'm not saying i don't find it interesting i'm just saying when you hear the quote out loud because yeah, i yeah, did yeah. read so it, it's just like uh, it's just like oh my god what a geez mm. you just hear like the boardroom speak and it just makes you want to throw up but, but, um, but, yeah, I, I think that that's a guy trying to make it sound like this is the positive side of it. But um, I don't know. I think ultimately, if something's good, people won't care, right? Like it'll work. Like, because I think the one thing I will say is that I think a lot of what they announced that presentation made sense. I think the and I think one of the big things they they demonstrated like the redesign of the app, and I will say the redesigned app looked pretty good because I don't like the HBO Max right, app right now, even though I like HBO Max a lot as a product. So I I do sort of like the idea of the redesign and and potentially getting a little more for my money, um be you know like because who doesn't want to watch BattleBots but like but you know like it, <laughs> it but um but so I don't know we'll see I mean it, it's because ultimately they're gonna have like almost a hundred percent subscriber retention because you're just taking all those old subscribers with the new name so what you're yeah. really hoping to do is with the new product offering uh, is, is attract different and new subscribers. So, you know, is that strategy going to work? Who knows?
2: Hopefully the app has a better design.
3: Yeah, it did look like it did. That was one of the things during the presentation I was actually a little impressed with, uh, for as much as there was a lot to potentially question. Um, you know, there, there were, I thought that did look good.
2: Okay, that does it for today's episode of Slash Home Daily. You can find more of all of our work at Slash You can find this podcast in Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, to us at Peter at Slash Home.com. And please rate and read this podcast in Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.